Welcome to Dark Horse Matters, the show about people, their passions, and their pursuit toward happiness. I'm your host, Bev Matayoshi, and my passion is talking to people about their dreams and what drives them and, you know, just the pursuit toward what makes them happy. If you're new to the show, you know, thank you so much and for joining us. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share it with your friends because you never know somebody on the show could inspire you. It might just trigger something in you to go after what really makes you happy. And it's important. It's important, especially during these hard times. So um, today's guest is uh, an old friend of mine. We go back a really, really far back. We've known each other since probably middle school. In Hawaii, we say intermediate. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't started saying middle school until, you know, I moved to the mainland. But anyways, but I haven't actually got to know her until we went off to college. We both went to University of Southern California, and it was in, until then that we became good friends. And, um, you know, we've, we just go back a long time. And I just remember she was like the hostess with the mostest. Like she always like, you know, had, you know, everybody liked going to her place and hanging out because one, she always had food there. And two, she just, you know, knew how to make everyone feel comfortable. And she was just, you know, she was a very great host. And all of her friends could say the same. But anyways, I would like to introduce you to Carrie Lynn Sakuma. Welcome to the show. Yay. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Carrie, I just want to thank you for, you know, coming on the show today because um, you posted something very um Profound, it really, really hit me when I saw it on Instagram and Facebook. You you posted a picture of a quilt that you made and it was just so beautiful and the story behind it, and we'll get into that, but the story behind it really touched me and I just wanted to bring you on the show so you could share it with everybody because I believe that during this time, you know, last year being just such a hard year for everybody, I just feel like it was so meaningful and I just wanted to share it with everyone. So, um, but before we get into the, all that, I just wanted to go down memory lane a little bit and, um, you know, just kind of reconnect with you because it's been a lot of years, you know? So can you, I don't know, what is your first memory? Do you, I didn't put this on the question list, but <laughs> maybe you can just like trigger it out of your head. Do you have any like stories, like memories of like when we first started hanging out back at USC? <laughs> appropriate um, memories that's a hard one <laughs> um hanging out at UC no I don't remember the first memory. I just just having a lot of them like just it all blends together you know like because it was kind of like your house was appropriately the party <laughs> I had the party house you had the cruise house <laughs> But it was just more of it became the belonging, like where everybody belonged, right? Like we just hung out a lot, right? Um, and it was like a home away from home. So I think that's that's the overall memory of of that period of time. But I don't remember the very first time. I don't remember the last time. I can't. You're right. I'm trying to think of my first and last, and I can't either. But what I do remember very specifically was your baking skills, like. <sighs> you made this uh for my sister my twin sister and i our our birthday you made us a chocolate dobage cake 
and a guava chiffon cake from scratch and i can still taste it how good it was and i just tripped out at how good you were at baking from scratch um just making things like you could make everything like you were so crafty and creative it used to just blow my mind that all all the stuff that you could do with sewing i think crocheting i got into that with you knitting (laughs) we used to cruise a lot and hang out a lot so (laughs) i feel like i learned a lot from hanging out with you so yeah that's my memory you were like the martha stewart of our crew (laughs) can you can you just give us like a um a background of your what you studied at USC like cuz i i remember you you know you're you were pursuing you know going into law enforcement like you wanted to be in the FBI so uh can you like explain to like what did, what did you major in at USC um i eventually majored in sociology so i got my BA in sociology and then um a minor in substance use and misuse and it's it's funny that when people remember me from back then and remember um, the whole FBI thing, I think it's funny. I, I just think it's hilarious because, um, you know, when I went into when I entered into USC, the reason why I thought I was going to go in that direction was because back in high school, I took every science class that was available. And the and there's this new science like um, science show type thing that was going on where the Honolulu Police Department opened up their forensics department for students to come in and test out like their science, the, the field of forensic science. And, um, and so that's what drew me to that. So it was a really successful program in that it got high school students interested in that um, area. Um, and this was before forensic science was in like CSI and Bones and those types of shows. So nobody really knew what that was about. <laughs> um, so I did that thinking, you know, if I went this route, it would be more about um, solving these crimes and providing some form of justice to the person who died. If I solve these crimes, then I'm helping it pursue, just, pursue justice. Um, and, and I even went so far as interviewing for like a fellowship with the FDI, FBI. And um, I think I made it through two rounds before I bombed an interview. And at that point in time, already I was questioning whether this was the right way to go. And so I was talking to one of our friends, uh, Bryce, <laughs> and he's the one who I was just talking through, like I felt this weirdness about this. And I thought, you know, I I work so hard to get to a goal. And I think many of us do this, where we work so hard, we set our goal, we work towards it, but we never think about what happens after that. And so I started thinking, what's going to happen after? If I got this, what would happen after? And I thought, after five years, I'd be burnt out. The reality is, how many cases could I possibly close? Uh, will I actually be serving any justice? And I, and I don't know why that got into my head that that was what I wanted to do. Um, but at the end of the day, I just, it, it didn't seem realistic. And so I swung in the opposite direction. So what I did was, I thought, well, they're already dead. <laughs> Okay, I'm being very crude here, but but they're already dead. What if I could do something to keep that from happening? And so my studies swung more towards prevention and I wanted more about health and wellness. And so it swung to preventive medicine in that arena. And, and I continued that. So that was already quite towards the end of, I think that was probably junior or senior year. Um, and so I just 
a lot of opportunities ended up right in front of me and I just took advantage of those. I was very, very lucky in many, many respects. And I ended up doing my master's in public health. I ended up doing my PhD in um, prevention, um, preventive medicine. And so a lot of my work focuses on the development of adolescents and young adults um, and, and tobacco and keeping them healthy and those kinds of things. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Like, I just realized like how disconnected I was from you all these years because I didn't know, because I just remember, you know, the FBI thing. And then all of a sudden you were doing research for tobacco and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, how did that, you know, that transition happen? And thank you for explaining that because, wow, I, I didn't even realize, you know, that's how it, how it went. But, um, you know, like, I just remember, um, in school, you were always so focused, you know, and you knew what you wanted, you know, like, and you remember me, I was like all over the place. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I think like just being your friend, like grounded me a lot. And I think that you, you played that role for a lot of people in our circle, um, Bryce included. Uh, he was a friend from high school as well, but um, it, it, it was, it was very refreshing having you in that circle in that sense. You're the one who grounded everybody because everybody was just, you know, in their 20s. We're like all over the place. You know, all we care about is having fun and, you know, <laughs> you know, but I always looked up to you for that. You were always very grounded. Um, when after you graduated from college, like um, what happened there? Like, because we I mean, I I didn't have kids until, you know, I mean, we we're in mid thirties, you know, and I don't know when, how old were you when you had your first child? Cause you have three kids now. <laughs> mid thirties. Yeah. Mid thirties. Yeah. That's yeah. like pretty average now with people who are career oriented, I guess. But, um, like, what did you end up doing then? Like, what was your career, uh, at that point? Yeah, so I started I started working as an administrative assistant actually um, within the University of Southern California, and doing that made tuition free for me. <laughs> so oh, nice! That's that's how I paid for my master's. Really, uh, was through because I was working for the university. Um, so I did that at the same time. Um, but like I said, there's a lot of opportunities that just kind of were in front of me that allowed me to pursue more research. Um, and so after that, I went towards, I wanted to do more research and to be honest, I wanted to be my own boss. And so I thought research would allow me to do that. Um, and so that's where I pursued the PhD. And, um, and once you pursue your PhD, what happens is you kind of have to go where the jobs are. And, um, that took me to Penn state. So, uh, I moved all, clear across the, the country and ended up doing research out on, on the East coast. Um, but I, you know, throughout that whole time, that's where I ended up having one of my kids. <laughs> and in order to, again, stay as a career, it's academia is such a weird thing, because in order for you to have a successful career, oftentimes you have to move quite a bit until you settle into a place. And um, so I ended up moving back to California um, and and eventually making it up to Oregon. And yeah. um, you teach now? I mean, I just saw a post that you got um, promoted and you got tenure, right? Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. That is such Thank a huge you. accomplishment. Like, wow. I, I'm so <laughs> proud of you. My goodness. 
Right. Yeah. That must have, you know, that takes a lot of hard work and dedication to, to get that as a teacher. And yeah. um, what kind of classes are you teaching? Um, so here I teach classes in uh, public health. My primary area is in social determinants of health. So that's teaching folks to understand that our health is really determined by everything around us, the systems around us that kind of impact us and our health. Um, I also teach um, master's level students, uh, PhD level students on theories of health and uh, mass media and how it impacts us and our health as well. So, different. okay. So with that being said, um, with 2020, you know, when the pandemic started, like, how did, how did that impact your job? Like, um, did, did you have to take time off or like, what happened there? Yeah, it was a really strange time. So being in public health, we kind of saw the writing on the wall. So we heard about this disease, um, probably early January to February is when we were started hearing a lot about this, this strange new disease, and we had to be worried about it. Um, and typically, when we do hear about things like that, we don't we expect that the, the processes in place is going to protect us. And we've seen this happen before, like other with other diseases where there's something concerning that happens and then um, everything kind of works together to help control that. But by March, we knew um, that things weren't getting better. The government was kind of ignoring it and things were getting worse. We started seeing death counts. And that's when, that's when we um, made plans as a university on um, what we're going to do. And so, um, spring break came, I went to my office, I cleared out my office to bring everything home, uh, expecting that we were going to continue working from home. Um, a lot of my research was still ongoing. Um, my student, I was teaching two classes, um, in spring term. And so everything just switched and pivoted. My kids started working from home. So it was just chaos, chaos. <laughs> um, and my students were fantastic. Um, they understood. They could see my kids like jumping up and down behind me. There was no like <laughs> virtual background, and they could hear me like you know scolding them. It was just chaos. But I think um, as a community, we understood that everybody was going undergoing the same amount of like upheaval in their in their lives, and so it was just more about let's just get through this. Let's just get through this together, um, and we'll figure it out. So I think that's that's what was happening in the early form in like right. March. Well, I'm glad that you were able to just kind of, you know, switch over, you know, and you didn't have to take a break or, you know, nothing closed down. Your classes didn't get canceled. That's, yeah. that's um, a huge blessing. Um, with the, the social media and, you know, those media things that you guys are all talking about with your classes, like, what was your observation, you know, with what was going on? Like, um, you know, on social media, I'm sure you guys had a lot of discussions with it, you know, in your classes and stuff. Like, what was your observation about what was happening? What you saw? Um, I it was strange because again, we're in public health, so we have a different sense of view of of what it means when population level um, metrics start showing disease. It means it's bad, like really bad. Um, and and so we are obviously coming from the point of this needs to be controlled, the transmission needs to be interrupted, we need much more tracing going on, we need to isolate folks so that they don't keep transmitting stuff. And then everything on the media um, coming, particularly because a lot of the media was being controlled, um, and what they were sharing were things like, this is no big deal. 
and we've got it under control or it's just going to go away come summer. <laughs> and anybody that knows anything about illness knows this is not true, <laughs> not, trans not transmissible, transmissible, transmittable. <laughs> um, illness is like, like this, right? Um, and so this disconnect between what we knew as reality and what was being perceived by the general public that may not know um, anything about disease or knew minimal amount, and this is the information they were getting, it was, it was, it was really concerning. And I think, um, you know, our students were looking for some clarity as to, like, what do we tell people? What do we do? How do we behave? And, and so we kept talking to them about, about the foundations that they've learned in class. Like, we know what we know, what, what very little things we know about COVID at the time was, don't touch anything, right? Stay away from people, wash everything, um, pretend that it's it's like hot lava, right? Like you don't want to touch it. Um, and so you obviously don't want to breathe it in. You don't want to do these things. So stay away from folks if you can. Um, and at the time it was stay at home orders. So things were shut down. And so it's a little bit easier, but then you start, but you know, people um, on social media is like, this is all made up. Why are we doing this? And people get restless and then there's became shortages of food and, um, you know, things like that. And I think, I think that's what drove folks to really question whether or not we were doing the right thing. At the same time, I think public health has a, a need for better communication <laughs> um, and needs to be out there in front. And part of our training as scientists is we don't say anything with certainty because nothing is certain but we do have probabilities and people don't understand probabilities. Like it's math, who cares about math? Um, and so it's just one of those things where we need to be better at communicating what needs to happen and what the risks are to people um, and and understand people's motivations a little bit better um, to to kind of prepare ourselves for the next one because there will be a next one. more um, educational campaigns on social media like there's definitely a shortage of that, you know, everything is just so emotional and people just, you know, fueling off of each other's emo emotions. I found myself, you know, during that time when I was home with my kids for two months, I didn't have to go to work. A lot of times I found myself not even looking at social media because I didn't want to experience, you know, the, and then I felt guilty because I felt like I was being ignorant just by not wanting to look at it. And, but it's hard because you start seeing all these people expressing their feelings, which matter, you know, everybody's feelings matter, but um, it, it's just hard because all, with, through all that, the education is just kind of lost in there. And that's what, you know, is important for people to learn and, and see. So I, you know, I really appreciate, you know, this field that you're in. Um, that's really, um, it's, it takes a lot of dedication and there needs to be more people in your field, you know, to really get the message out. That's, that's awesome. During this um, time, like when did you get the inspiration to make this quilt that is the whole reason why I brought you on the show was because out of this whole civil unrest, you know, during the pandemic of 2020, with all these heated emotions in the air and everybody's feelings out there. This quilt that you posted on Instagram, the picture, um, so beautiful. And what inspired you to start making it? What inspired you? Um, so I think most of it was everybody was feeling helpless, right? Like everything in the world 
was upside down and topsy turvy, like nothing made sense. And so people are sitting at home having nothing to do. There were PPE shortages. So our own hospitals and clinics and nurses and doctors were having to go into work without any protections um, and, and nothing was happening. And so this hopelessness and helplessness that our community was feeling, a lot of folks were like, what can we do? Like there was no places to donate money like for PPE, because there's no places to buy that product. And so um, I think what had happened was a community member just decided, hey, is there any sewists in this community? Can we get together and sew masks for our, our healthcare providers? And so what, what that bloomed into, and so different cities had done this, um, but our city had um, was, is quite smaller and we're really isolated uh, compared to big cities. <laughs> um, and so this group uh, formed on Facebook. I am just a, a volunteer sewist. Like there were lots and lots of people signed up um, and I'm not one of the organizers at all. But what they did was we ended up sewing, I think over 50,000 masks over the, from maybe about April-ish to the following year. And maybe January is when we stopped. We wanted to make sure that every single individual in our community could have access to a free mask. And so um, people donated money and fabric to that time and, and their businesses. So we had like um, a laser cutter retool his uh, machine so that he could laser cut out fabric into panels that we could then cut and sew. Um, and, and so that's all happening. About July or so, um, you know, it started to slow down because mass-produced masks were starting to come into the community. So that that helped settle folks down a bit. And and as though, even though we kept continuing to sew those, the materials, the waste materials were starting to build up. Um, and someone just asked if anybody had use for them. And I'm I'm frugal. <laughs> I grew up frugal. I super frugal, and I hate seeing waste. And um, the other person who's collecting this material, she's, I guess her area was in sustainability. So she hates going anything going into our landfills. And so um, I said, I'll take some, I'll just take some. And, and I didn't realize when I said I was going to take some, I took a, like, she ended up handing me over a ton of material. Um, and because they were laser cut already, um, they were just big swaths of, of fabric. And I needed to move that out of my house. I can't like I can't sit around in garbage either, right? Um, and so I just took those strips and just started sewing. And I think part of the the whole ritual of that is is that it was just straight line sewing. And I, at the time of this, I was under a lot of pressure and stress from my work. It just happened to be a really critical period of time for my career. Um, I was already under stress because COVID um, and I stopped sleeping. Like I couldn't, I can't even explain that be, to myself because I never ever had a problem with sleeping ever. Like, <laughs> I could sleep anywhere, anytime, not a problem. And so this is the first time I've ever had any bouts of insomnia. Um, and I'm talking like, I would stay up to three or four o'clock in the morning and not, not do anything. And that's obviously unhealthy but all my coping mechanisms to deal with stress were gone, right? I couldn't go to the gym. I couldn't hang out with friends. I couldn't go out to eat. Uh, there were shortages on flowers. So I couldn't bake. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, what are you gonna do? <laughs> Which is probably a good thing, um, but, 
but at the same time, so what am I going to do? And I, I mean, I've sewed off and on, um, certainly during great stress, I would sew um, stuff, but now I've had hours of like, what am I going to do with myself? And so I would just start sewing. And, um, the nice thing about quilting is that you don't need a lot. You don't need a lot of skill to start. I mean, there's intricate designs and artistry that is amazing. Um, but the quilt that I showed just looks amazing because there's so many pieces to it, but, but it's really simple. And that simplicity of just sewing straight lines constantly over and over again, gave me some sense of predictability and control. And um, every night I knew that when I'm done with work, the kids are going to bed, this is what I'm going to do. And I'll produce something at the end. And so that's, that's how I dealt with everything, you know, and, and the more emotional I got about everything going on in the world, um, the more it impacted me, especially because I, I live in the middle of Oregon. And I know people think of Oregon as being um, mostly Portland. <laughs> so progressive and, yeah, and yeah. filled of multicultures and all of those things. That's not where I live. And um, we're very concerned. We're a bubble in a conservative area. Um, and there's like, there were Trump flags everywhere and, um, but also protests. And we also have white supremacists living in the same environment. And so it was just really, um, it was really a hard time for many people. And to process that, it was just sewing straight lines. That's all my brain could handle. You know what though? I, I can really appreciate that because like a lot of people who didn't have that outlet, you know, or didn't bother finding an outlet that was positive, you know, and, and the fact that you created something so beautiful out of that outlet that you found for yourself is just amazing to me. And like, I just remember a lot of time, you know, people would just, you know, sit there and focus on all those negative things happening. And, you know, my, my sister would call me and she, she'd be in tears, you know, I was watching too much Facebook today, you know, like, and I'm just like, why are you doing this to yourself? You know, like, I, I think it's so beautiful that you found the straight lines, like, uh, or something, some kind of action that allowed you to focus on something, you know, and keep you your sanity in check, you know, but the fact that it produced something so meaningful and, and beautiful is just so powerful to me. Did you know how to quilt prior to this project or did this project inspire a learning of it? Um, a little bit of both. So I did quilt before. Um, I learned how to, well, I knew how to quilt before, but I really knew, learned, learned how to do it appropriately instead of cutting every single square, <laughs> like how most people start. Um, I learned how to quilt during, um, during my PhD. So another period of intense stress, right? Um, and then for each kid, you know, I would sew with preparing for the kids. Like I would have blankets made. Um, and I remember one year, everyone decided to have kids. So I think one year, um, I think I made like 15 baby quilts. It was just crazy. So it's wow. just a lot of practice. But during this period of time, like in the past year, I would say that quilting became really popular. So if you look at Instagram or Facebook, um, there's a kind of a run on fabric because this was something you could do at home. And um, I think one of the things with quilting is if you, and there was, you know, a lot of people new to sewing, 
who also wanted to participate in um, making masks for their friends and families as well. And so I think that's that's what kind of got people going on that. Um, I, I certainly spent a lot of time like um, learning new techniques or um, exploring different types of sewing, but uh, during this time, what else are we going to do, right? Um, but it can get really expensive. So <laughs> I started like pulling back a bit on that. Yeah. But. Hoarding, hoarding the fabric. Yes. yes. So with I'm not in I'm not familiar with this community, the quilt making community or what's involved in making a quilt. But you know, just from certain movies I've seen or, you know, like, there's always some kind of deeper meaning behind a quilt, like, it's there's so much more to making a quilt than just making a blanket it's always associated with some kind of you know deeper meaning behind it which i i just love that about quilting in general like do you do a lot of hand you know is is it <laughs> by hand or does most of it by the sewing machine it's mostly by sewing machine i would say that you know it's it takes so much time and materials quilting is not cheap if you don't especially if you're starting out brand new, it's not cheap. Um, it can be if you, if you learn a little bit more, like it, you can figure out ways to make it cheap, but, but you spend so much time, um, machine quilting certainly can be faster, but it's still a lot of time. And so that's why you usually see meaning behind it because eventually it's going to be associated with some period of time that you're going through or who you made it for. Um, but, but I think it's always been around and I, my, my um my association with quilting comes from more of a make do with what you got kind of frame of mind and so if you think back to like like i think back to my great grandparents my grandmother who they didn't teach me to sew like i didn't actually know that they sewed all that much other than seeing the you know the cookie tins with all the sewing materials in it <laughs> or like uh, the sewing machine but i never actually saw them sewing um but back in the day when you know, living on an island in the middle of the Pacific during wartime, there's not a lot of material. And so, you know, they would use like flour sacks, you use old clothes to make blankets. And so I, I think about how you make nothing out of something. And that's where quilting comes in for me. Um, and so that's what when I see scraps and that I can't throw them away because they're they're useful. And mm -hmm. so I think that's that's where um, my inspiration comes from that. Um, when you're sewing, um, you know, a lot of folks who start off brand new, they might have to buy a lot of material just to figure out how to do it first. But eventually you can, you can use anything to scrap with. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, um, I just think it's so cool. And that, that makes sense to me, like with the time and effort that it takes to make one blanket, um, I can see why it would be, you know, emotional by the time you're done with it <laughs> because of that. Yeah. And gosh, you know, no wonder they're so expensive too, you know, yeah. with this blanket that you made um, with the meaning behind it and everything that you went through while making it. Um, what did you, you have a name for it? What do you call this piece of heart that you created? I called it community unrest because during that time, that's all that was happening, right? Like we've, not just from COVID, but we also have Black Lives Matter. We've also experienced a lot of violence and 
and death that surrounded all of us. And this was something that I personally was not resting from. <laughs> um, and so this was the me channeling that energy um, and that unrest towards. And so I thought that just seemed fitting. <laughs> and it came from the community, right? Every piece of that material um, came from the community. Like it was people's time and effort dedicated to providing something of safety to our community. So that's just how it all came together. Um, wow. Well, that's, that's amazing. And what do you think that's going to come of this piece in the future? Like, is this going to be like a family heirloom that you will pass on to your children? Probably my daughter already claimed it as her. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were going to donate it to something, you know, but, um, well, there are a lot of, um, I still have scraps left over from that whole, um, project. So there are quite a few, um, I just need to purchase like the, the batting. That's the part that's the fluffy part in between. 